Welcome to the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. I'm Chuck Neely. And I'm Jared Watkins. We are here to talk about the practical side of operations work. This week, we're talking about recent movements in the ARM processor space, an implication that has for future of desktops, laptops, and servers that run our infrastructure. We would like to thank 42 Lines for sponsoring this episode. 42 Lines is a DevOps consulting firm specializing in observability, cloud migrations, service reliability engineering, cost control, security practices, and team mentoring. Kickstart your SRE journey with the experts at 42lines.net. So this episode is largely about our speculation. And I, I will say up front that this is a speculation on our part, not being industry insiders, not being deep into the fabs and the production houses that actually make these things, but looking at the changes that are coming and then have been coming for the past, I don't know, five, 10 years that are threatening the supremacy of x86 as the default or the, the dominant processor option for lots of things we do. We're at this inflection point and it's obvious to anyone who's really in the field the 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 landscape of processing that we do and processors and being multi-platform multi-architecture um is is really beating down our doorstep yeah i mean when, when one of the major cloud providers goes off and designs their own chip uh yeah i think people notice and Designing their own chip may be a little bit of a reach, but we'll get to that in a few minutes. But it's definitely, there, there's a cost to benefit to power ratio that is not present in the Intel space these days that a lot of work that's been, been done on the ARM um, instruction set really wins at. And if anything, in a data center, you're paying for power, which is both the power to run the chips and the power to run the air conditioner to cool the chips. So your power budget is on both sides. And if you can run the same workload at a low the same workload at a lower cost, it saves everybody money and you're going to push that as hard as you can. So one thing to keep in mind trying to be as generic as possible, the x86 architecture has always been about performance, the biggest bang you can get out of your central processing units. Uh, whether that's server performance or gaming performance or, I mean, I think we all sort of come from this this upbringing where we expect our machines to be powerful processors. In contrast, the ARM architecture has come from a complete efficiency side of the equation. How can we build processors that use very little amounts of power, compete with other low-power processors, and play in that space? And what's really interesting to me is that the ARM architecture really takes off from and inherits a lot from ye old-fashioned 6502s. And those are definitely a low-power low power budget level efficient uh kind of processor of their day yeah i liken the rise of arm in mobile and kind of the way it came up to being this super power efficient and high performance much the same way that javascript became so freaking fast 
And JavaScript it, fast? It wasn't because JavaScript was good. It was because JavaScript was everywhere. And so people spent a lot of time optimizing it and figuring out how to make it better and quicker and have just in time compilation and putting all this energy into the runtime engines. And suddenly JavaScript became really fast. And similarly, you couldn't put an x86 64 chip into a phone or into a tablet or really any of the big ones into a laptop. I guess you could you could squeeze like the super low power variants into laptops, but it was it was always a bit of a stretch. And so when Apple was shopping around to do their their first iPhone, they looked at okay, well what do we have? We can't put an Intel chip in there. It's it's too expensive in terms of power. <laughs> and it's well, famously one of the the Intel CEO um says that was one of the biggest mistakes of his career was turning Apple down for that. Um and yeah. And so Apple, Apple went Apple would have ditched them at some point because Intel does not have a chip that can run on a mobile platform. Yeah. They have the Atom, which is the closest thing they've got. But which what I was, what I was saying needs is about ten watts. If Intel way too much. was if Intel was focused on the low power space because they had a customer like Apple with the iPhone trying to do something like that, they may have had a chance at this. But because it became ARM as the default, it was okay, well it's the fastest of the, of the efficiency processors. And then Apple double down on it and double down and year over year they they kept on adding more and more and more to it and just okay how do we make it faster how do we make it more battery efficient how do we race to sleep how do we do all of these things and they pushed the the awareness of the arm chipset up and they pushed its performance and its capabilities up dramatically and we're at the point now that for single threaded workloads and i admit this is single threaded workloads this is not multi-threaded the iphone 11 max is faster than every shipping Apple laptop or desktop. Oh, Intel. And that's single-threaded. When you go to multi-threaded, multi-core, like the new (laughs) Mac Pro wins, hands down, there's all kinds of other things. But for single-threaded workloads, the iPhone 11 Pro Max is like a 1327, and ironically, the the top-spec 27-inch iMac has the highest single-threaded performance, and it's got a 1242 and yes, this is a benchmark, and benchmarks are lies, and I, I get that. That's that's a thing. But the ARM processors have really come into their own. And it's not just Apple. The ones that um, are going into Android phones, the ones that are going into desktops, the ones that are going into to Amazon 64-core servers that you can buy, or you can rent, rather. But this 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 shouldn't be. ARM is a risk architecture, reduced instruction set computing. Part of it being efficient is the instruction set is simple. The transistor count is low, therefore less heat, less power. The Intel chips are complex instruction set computing chips, sys chips. And the idea for the complex instruction set is to be able to have those really weird instructions that Linus Torvalds was complaining about the other day. Um link in the show notes uh, to have those extra special instructions that optimize specific work paths and reduce the instructions required to do certain calculations and you know single threaded workflows to be faster on the risk yeah this is weird and such an inflection point and I'm I'm out of words and, and it's even crazier that the and again I'll, I'll say this again just to make sure people hear it. The in the not Intel the Amazon 
um, the Amazon ARM processor workloads <laughs> are 64 core at this point. Wow. What happens when Apple, for their Apple Silicon design, their Apple design Silicon, whatever they want to call it for marketing, but it's an ARM processor under the covers, when they put a 64 core chip into their desktop and their new Mac Pro or whatever it's it is. The new cheese grater. And the fans are on half the speed and it's a smaller power supply so it's cheaper to make. And I mean, come on, it's Apple. They're going to charge full price for it and they'll, they'll keep the profits. But it's going to dramatically change the landscape of the systems that people buy to do operations work, the systems that people buy to do development work. And if everything plays out along the timeline that I kind of suspect it's going to, we're going to see a huge benefit into Apple of putting all that work into LLVM and into GCC and into making the ARM processor stuff. All of the intermediary in, intermediary runtime representation of code, a lot of this stuff translates really well over to the server market directly, and a lot of it is open source. So there's a good chance that people will say it's cheaper to run ARM servers. They're just as fast, if not faster. It runs on my phone and my laptop and my you know desktop in my office, and it also runs on our cloud, cloud instance. Why would we stick with really expensive Intel processors that are still on, yep. what, 11 nanometer at this point, and Apple is down to four or six? It's Apple's down to seven. Seven, okay. But Intel just announced like a week or two ago that they've missed they've missed their next processor rank again, and they're hoping to have it out by twenty twenty three. Okay, so there's too much crap to unpack there. Yep. I'm uh, uh, you know, that was after Apple announced uh, their Apple Silicon or whatever it's gonna be. Um you know, one of the big chief complaints I saw was people were concerned about, or, or one of the big questions, and I, I'll admit, I, I did too, like, oh, how are we going to run Docker? How are we going to do this? But I'm wondering if in a, if even in just a few short years, if it will no longer be, well, how do I run these runtimes to emulate x86 to where both developers and operations people alike will run an ARM-based desktop to do their development slash operations work in, and it will directly translate to an ARM-based server workload to where it w- both in either an Amazon or GCP or wherever. I see that and, as highly likely. And, also, and so now it, it's, it, you don't have to worry about that, that question anymore. It, it's just straight. To, it's just ARM all the way instead of x86. And I was one of those people a couple of episodes ago when I was building a Linux desktop, and I decided not to buy a Mac, and I was buying a From Parts x86 64, as everyone should. And I acknowledged that you know this is going to be a weird, rough transition, and as details emerge, we're going to find out kind of what's going on. But it looks like one of the strategies Apple is using to help bridge this gap is doing. Recompilation of x86 to ARM on download, and if they can pull that off, and then again, assuming that they this is part of the LLVM stack that is open sourced, that will make it that that will be really interesting in allowing workloads to quickly and easily move to ARM-based anything else. Right, that would be scary. So, Brendan, there's a couple points in your argument that I want to underline. Okay. One of the fastest supercomputers HPC in the world, and my friends here have lots of experience in HPC, is 
run by uh, or sponsored by Fujitsu. And at least at one point, it was the fastest HPC computer on the planet. So I'm not sure if it still holds that spot or not. Um, ARM chips. So that's how fast and powerful and the ratio between and, and power, power and power. When you're, when you're running thousands or tens of thousands of cores, yeah. power that's costs how efficient money. they are. Yeah. And really the the second thing is Intel is not doing well. And I can't say that enough. They're not doing well. Their seven nanometer lithography process has failed and it's all over the news. Uh, one of their chief engineers got fired over it, which I'm not sure how that's going to really help. Um, presently, there is one company on the planet that basically holds monopoly in the seven nanometer lithography process. And that's ASML holdings of, you know, random companies. But they sell the machines that you can purchase that will build a silicon for you. And, and I think TSMC... Apple's using them. Yeah, I think yeah. TSMC is the largest, the largest fab on the planet that's actually using those machines, and Apple does a lot of work through TSMC to build their chips. Yes. That's how Apple has a 7 nanometer chips. Yeah, Apple doesn't own any fabs. To, to be absolutely clear about this, this is one of the many things that Apple designs and then has other people make because other people are really specialized in making these things. But also, most companies, Dell doesn't have their own fab. They don't make their own chips. Um, but Dell also doesn't design their own chips. Right. And and I think that's also, I think again here, and not to try to sing Apple's praises, but I really think they're leading the way again, much in the way of, say, putting USB devices or, you know, using USB or FireWire or that kind of thing. Uh, Making everything USB-C? Is that it, Jared? Well, no, back in the day, I mean, you know, they they led the way, back with just original USB. I mean, they were, were they were the first to put USB on a, a laptop or whatever it was, but they... Uh, Apple was the first with USB in the iMac and Wi-Fi on a laptop. Yeah, there we go, Wi-Fi. That, yeah, that too, yeah. So, I mean, they led the way in a lot of things, and I think they're going to lead the way again in this ARM charge, and because Apple is so big and doing this at this at this scale, it's actually going to succeed, which will in turn make other players move that way. Uh, and just but honestly, turn... I think this is the start of the death knell for Intel. I, I would agree with that. They've really screwed the pooch here. I mean, uh, yeah, I think Brendan was even mentioning some of the single core, you know, benchmarks. And again, I, I, you know, I don't know how you can directly compare like a, a Geekbench uh, score between x86 and ARM. Like I, I know that there's some differences there, but you know, when you're seeing single threaded performance beating uh, an Intel, an x86 pr- uh, processor. So let's be clear with that. It's single threaded performance in a battery powered handheld device versus a 27 inch iMac. <laughs> right. So right. You, the phone in your hand doesn't have a heat sink and a fan and cooling. It's doesn't set your hand on fire. Exactly. Most times. So what happens when they, they, un, un, they, they, they open the floodgates and they say, we're going to have a desktop that has, you know, fans and heat pipes and it's an active cooling system. Right. Then how fast is it going to go? Like it's, yeah, when, when they can really push a 7 nanometer chip instead of having to, to be entirely constrained by the thermals of mobile devices, it's going to be really interesting. It is. 
So let's talk about another company that's using uh, the 7 nanometer process that's not Intel. And that would be AMD, who is producing amazing chips that are mostly a lot cheaper than the Intel equivalent. And again, beating the pants off Intel as far as performance goes. I thought that was just in their graphics cards. Is that in their their desktops, in, in their kind of regular x86 chips as well? Yeah. Ooh, I did not catch that part. The are, are AMD we... CPUs are are hands down just clobbering Intel. Are we back in the Athlon era? Basically. <laughs> I mean, no, I mean the, th- there's the... a reason a lot of the enthusiasts and gamers out there, because that's a big part of the new build-your-own-PC market, but all of them are are talking about AMD and going for AMD now because that's that's where the features are. That's where the performance is. Well, Intel it, keeps locking down the ability to overclock their chips. The Gen nine and and tenth generation chips can no longer um, use faster RAM. They're RAM locked um, unless you get the K uh, series chips. AMD just lets you overclock their hardware. It, you don't have to buy special chipsets or special licenses or whatever. You just it's there. You just do it. Well, and and you know, speaking of 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 Intel's uh, problems, you know, an, another big reason I think we're seeing the switch to to AMD is is also because of meltdown. Um, you know, I don't know if it's still the case, but there for a while, you actually had to turn off multi-threading if you wanted to be somewhat secure. Well, and that, to be clear, that was in a multi-tenant environment. If you have your own right, servers, right. you were fine. Right. But it, it was violating some of the, the, the separation of memory spaces for cloud-enabled workloads where there's multiple customers on the same piece of physical hardware. Now, that's Correct. some research I should have done for the show. But but also, I mean, what what was the other one? Was it was it Spectre? Was that the other, was yeah. There's there some, several security the, issues there were that several Intel's that, fall into that aren't present on AMD. Right. That, that was due to their architecture and how they implemented multi-threading um, that just isn't present in other manufacturers. So I think that's another reason we're seeing that, that that's shift as well. That's another big reason that Intel's really falling down. Yeah. Well, th- there's also a th- another aspect to the AMD transit or the, the ARM transition, and that has to be the Raspberry Pi. It got such a mind share with the geeks that kind of lead the charge on a lot of things for being so cheap and being, oh, it, it runs a full-fledged Linux distribution. You actually can do things with it instead of having to compile C and upload it to a microcontroller and then re- repeat that cycle. You actually could log into it. You get SSH into it and use it as a real, a real computer. And the Raspberry Pi Foundation has been really good about, you know, moving and keep it sometimes a little slower than we'd want them to. But they keep on making newer, better, faster, more capable devices that are all about the same entry price. So, you know, $40 gets you a brand new computer. You cannot buy a $40 Intel machine. It just doesn't exist. Mm. And there's been some work to try to get an Atom processor on a single board computer. But, but they're $200 a piece. have been flops and they're really expensive. Yeah, they start at $200. Atom ain't a great cheap, uh, isn't a great chip. And there's lots of ancillary devices in heat sinks and other crazy you need to make that chip work it's not a it's the reason that chip isn't used in mobile applications but part of what i'm bringing up here with the the raspberry pi is that a lot of a lot of the geeks spent a bunch of time working on 
what do we have to do to Linux? What do we have to do to libraries and networking stacks and Docker and all these other things to make all of the code that has been assuming x86 for so many years, hey, it's actually not that hard. I mean, we, they've done other tra- other architectures before. This x86 was so dominant. And so yeah. having having that kind of that poke to build up robust and coherent ARM support has really been a helpful thing in terms of the the possibility of a widespread shift to ARM processors. If if I'm looking at popular projects on GitHub, it's not uncommon for me to see pre-built binaries for both x86 and AMD at this point. Or not AMD, I'm sorry, ARM at this point. I do that too. And the various ARM architectures, you know, V8, V7, V6, that kind of thing. Like they're, it's actually multiple people are going back and building them for older architectures too and that speaks to the robustness of the community and the interest in mindshare they have which is important because if they have that it makes it easier for other folks to generate arm-based systems that we use on our desktops that we use in laptops that we use in the cloud and i am really excited about the possibilities as unlocks especially because i was a mac user when we when Apple switched from Motorola to PowerPC, and I was a Mac user from PowerPC to Intel. I am still a Mac user, even though my most recent computer is not was not a Mac, but I'm watching them do the transition again. And there comes a point where your platform, the, the processor vendor, becomes what's holding you back. And that is definitely what's going on in the Apple-Intel relationship for desktops and laptops. And Apple says, well, we have a, a processor core, and I, and I say that we... They, they use, and it's the ARM V8.4, I believe, and they've added their own extensions to it because they have some crazy license. But it's the ARM V8 architecture. It's an, it's an instruction set that's commonly available to any ARM licensee. I'm not sure that Apple's bits they add to it are available, but, you know, that's that's Apple. We'll see what they are but at the, some point. But the base ISA is the same. And so, again, if Apple is open sourcing this in Clang or LLVM, suddenly this becomes available to the wider open source community, super optimized um, runtimes There's and There's a reason why Clang and LLVM are such an awesome and an incredible compiler suite. I'd rather use that than GCC now, and that, that sort of pains me to say because I've, I've always been a, a GNU and GCC fan, but Apple has poured so much research and development effort into... Uh, Clang and LLVM that they're amazing now. They're really yeah. good. You know, speaking of, of Apple and, and ARM and all this stuff, there's there's one question that I think a lot of us might have, and that is, what in the world does Anand Shippy actually do at Apple now? I have no idea. I've not even thought about his name in quite a while. I, I was going to say, for, if in case I just lost some people, the the original founder of Anantech, a popular hardware blog uh, publication uh, that actually got down into very technical aspects. And that was part because Anand himself is an engineer. Like, uh, I think he went to NC State as a chip uh, engineer. He, he, you know, loved and breathed this stuff. And then what? I can't remember how many years ago he he just left and he went to Apple. I really want to know what he's doing at Apple. So I just looked it up. He left in 2014 to go to Apple. That was six years ago. Okay, 2014. That's crazy that I haven't heard his name in that long. Yeah, I, and I really miss his his well. I mean, that was one of the first things I would look for when a new iPhone or, or any kind of 
device like that was released because he would take it and break it down and then uh, start doing things down at the chip level and really trying to understand. Like I remember back when they were doing like X-ray scans of uh, when the first A series stuff were coming out and he was you know breaking down what each uh, transistor or pipeline did and what this was about and and why it would work better or more efficient. And I can't help but think that's probably what got him the job. But I just I do wonder what he does there. I also wanted to add a note. You, Jack, you had mentioned the supercomputer that was running on AMD or on ARM. I keep on making that mistake as well. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but I remember being at, I want to say it was one of the Red Hat summits in quite a while ago now. Back but, in the day. But HP's Moonshot, you know, rack mounted servers, they, they mm-hmm. do these like cassettes or cartridges of, you know, compute. It was a hyperconverge. The idea being, you, you know, you pool all your resources, you have a a provisioning engine or agent of some variety that hands out storage and network and disk and compute and all the other things you could possibly want. But they had ARM modules, cassettes, whatever, you could drop into their, their Moonshot servers. And this was eight years ago, nine years? I mean, this is, it's been a while. And their their thing was, yeah, they're, they run at a lower clock speed, but they run at so much lower power that we can pack. We can just pack this thing full because we don't need all the cooling for it. And mm-hmm. the argument was for low power workloads, you could have a huge amount of density in terms of being able to divvy up resources. This is before some of the the more advanced um, segmenting and slicing of, of hardware resources was available. So it was, it's interesting. And this has been around for a long time that people have been putting ARM workloads into servers. Yes. ARM's not new. It's just gotten significantly better. Yeah, and I, I think... And it's not just Apple. Um, Google was huge in this as well in terms of pushing the platform forward for how do we get as much performance for every every milliamp that we have in the battery out of that chip? How do we really optimize everything for power consumption, which which forces an entirely different set of design principles on you? But it's, it, there's also a speed war going on in terms of there, there's a race for who can run whichever those silly you know javascript benchmark suites was is popular at the moment or geekbench or you know what what have you and it's made the arm stuff go from being a i mean that that's a nice you know reasonable performance low power chip to being that is contending with intel who's held the performance king for decades and in single thread workloads it's, it's winning it's winning clearly and not only winning the, the, the performance race, but also the power race as well. And at some point, um, people should, tra- should check out what Amazon's doing with the Neoverse N1 and N2 CPUs. And this is what powers their Graviton um, class machines. And I can't remember all the specifics of it, but they're running on 7 nanometer. They are looking at transition to 5 sometime this year or next, they're hoping. Um with I can't remember what the, the the next architecture revision they're they're calling it in public is, but these machines when they're plugged in are they have all the bandwidth you could possibly want in terms of the network interfaces back into the Amazon stack. They've got huge memory allocations. They've got NVMe SSDs. They've got all the things you would want in the super high performance cloud computing, and it's all ARM, and so they charge you significantly less because it, it costs them less to run it. Well, and, and also the the performance metrics too. I think there's been some benchmark, benchmarks released that show that it it's actually, uh, in some cases, significantly better than x86. Well, Amazon of course claims something like 
35 40% you know performance per watt like in terms of for every dollar you spend you get that much more you get 40% more performance than you would get out of that same spend on Intel or AMD processors which yeah, is I mean, significant uh, but I mean also like they've done like I, I, and, and I'm not saying that I can't remember the benchmarks right now but it wasn't even like like compiling the Linux kernel like th- there are certain tasks where their arm chips were better than if you did the same process on an x86 instance in AWS as well like it was just significantly better in certain workloads and I can't remember them right now but uh, th- it, it was better than an x86 uh, instance could be sorry I'm lost in the Amazon thing trying to dig out actual yeah. details but S- it's hard same to get here. I, was, I was trying to do the same thing does GCP not have ARM instances yet? I don't know. I, I, I know they're searching for, and they weren't there. I know that Amazon and Facebook and Google and the other big players have been doing their own hardware designs for like network switches for quite a long time now. Yeah, Google famously has their own specification for how they do data center servers. Was Amazon part of the Open Compute Project, or was that Facebook and everybody else trying to catch that up? That was with, Facebook and everybody else. Trying to catch up with... With um, with Amazon. Amazon and Google, okay. And Google, yeah. I know that Google, I know Amazon's first foray into ARM chip designs was actually in their networking stack. They they designed it to, to handle their uh, networking stuff, because, uh, what's his name, James Hamilton, or, or one of their engineers at one of the... Uh, AWS reinvents what talked about that, that this is their first step into doing custom silicon or custom design. And then they're going to, to move that into their EC2 instances at some point. And now we we've gotten there. Okay. I'm going to throw a link to the Ananda tech article about the graviton two instances into the show notes, because it's really worth kind of looking through it. It, it explains where Amazon is, is getting their vision from and comparing it from the, Intel Xenons to the AMD Epics to theirs, and of course the AMDs are in between in price. They're they're not as expensive as the Intel stuff, and they are not as cheap as the the ARM workloads. So, again, if you're if you're price conscious in any way, um, Intel's not the place to be right now. Mm-mm. So I'm looking forward to the day that I can build a Linux machine on an ARM CPU and motherboard. Because I think that day is really close. I've looked often at using the Raspberry Pis as new workstation machines. They just don't really have enough RAM. Yeah, and well, can't you get some one... from Supermicro or whatever? <laughs> well, like, the new Pis have 8 gigs of RAM if you get the, the higher spec ones, which is getting closer. Getting there. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. And, and Jared, you're you're funny, but that that that's... They charge way too much for those research boards. It's they, it's they do they I, they do I, I will admit they. But yeah, I'm I'm looking at this sort of precipice and thinking that really within a couple years from now, we could be living in a very different arm powered world. I'm just really hoping that we don't go down the path where the only real vendor of desktops and laptops running ARM is Apple because Apple is not going to be opening them up for um, our level of tinkering and installation. And that would be very sad. No, but I, I think Apple, uh, it, because of their scale and using and, and 
how many chips they actually use because it's not just in their desktops but also mobile. And, and let's face it, every other mobile phone is is using ARM as well. I think it's going to be cheaper for the other manuf- for the other uh, PC manufacturers to actually go to ARM because we're basically building so many of them. The the volumes there. And because Apple is leading the way, the other manufacturers are like, well, hey, if Apple's doing it, we can do it too. And then I think we will see other. Well, actually, can't you buy some ARM desktops now from Dell or from uh, you can get Lenovo? Windows ARM machines? Yeah, um, yeah, I know Windows supports ARM nowadays. Super limited, right? They're yeah, they're yes, they're very limited. But you can actually buy them, which is like the first step. And I, I just I think we'll start seeing them, and and I think you know. I don't know how Apple's actually going to pitch it, but I do wonder if they're going to, some of the first ones are going to be actually cost efficient or, or very, or ch- much cheaper air slash pros, possibly not their pro line, but possibly their airline. And that will cause other manufacturers to follow. And then you'll see, you know, Dell or whoever, you know, releasing a much cheaper uh, version of the machine with arm. The only question would be, are they going to stick with windows? Or are they going to possibly start using uh, Linux or Chrome OS or, or something like that? I think the only reasonable thing they can do is, sorry, they're, they're going to be gated by Microsoft getting a version of, or a translation layer in, I think, is it Windows RT that is their ARM version? I I hate misspeaking about this because I don't know, but I don't use Windows, so I don't have it in my head. Um, but I think it's RT. And if they have a reasonable translation layer a la Rosetta that Apple used in the PowerPC to Intel transition and they're using something similar in this transition, that you can run your legacy Windows code on a Windows ARM desktop, then I can see it happening. Because, again, the Windows ecosystem is entirely built on price. And if you right. can shave $15 off of you know that, that workstation... Or that not not workstation. Sorry, if you can save fifteen dollars off of the the cheap PCs you're buying in mass for the company, because most people don't really need a, a really powerful workstation. Well, and you get the unit price down from you know three hundred and fifteen dollars to three hundred dollars. They're going to sell really well because when you're buying ten thousand machines on a long term contract, every dollar helps. I really see the the Chromebooks that I think we all have three of nowadays as kind of a grand experiment into that $200, $300 laptop range that gives you a reasonable, powerful laptop that does all the stuff you need to do. And I'm just waiting for for better machines to come out of Dell and other manufacturers that compete. Yeah. I, I, like, Google has their Pixel Chromebook that's the high-end... Like the, oh, that the, machine's it, crazy. And it's, it's like, like 15, bucks. It's like $1,500 for the, the top spec one, and that's, it's really good. But I'm looking for the desktop version of that that I can build myself and isn't kind of locked down. And that has a shell on it yeah, and SSH on it. <laughs> and enough storage and enough RAM that you actually could install an OS and load applications locally and not need the cloud. I know the cloud is all trendy and everything, but it's a fad. It's, it's, it's going to die off. <laughs> Hot takes right here. Thin clients, you know. Hey, you laugh. Thin clients are really cool. Hey. They're always really cool about every five years. (laughs) I love thin clients. We would like to thank 42 Lines for sponsoring this episode. 42 Lines is a DevOps consulting firm specializing in observability, cloud migrations, service reliability engineering, 
cost control, security practices, and team mentoring. Kickstart your SRE journey with the experts at 42lines.net. And please take the time to rate this show in Overcast, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast directory. It is the best way for new listeners to find us. Additionally, we welcome feedback about shows you've recorded or topics you'd like us to cover. Leave us a comment on the website at operations.fm or send us your thoughts on email, feedback at operations.fm. And that wraps it up for this episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. I'm Jack Neely. And I'm Jared Watkins. Thanks, and good night. You can have my VT-100 when you pry it from my cold, dead hands. <laughs>